Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo, and hello everybody. Like my dad said, Mike here. Welcome to Golden Age of Cardboard Podcast. Again, it's uh, mid-June. The National is getting closer. I am super excited about it. We're about six weeks away, I guess. Something That sounds about right. And yeah, it couldn't get here faster. I'm looking forward to it. I am really curious. I was thinking as I was listening to my dad's intro, I wonder how many of you guys still listen to the intro or if you just on your podcast, if you're listening or if you're watching on YouTube, you know, it's about a minute long and you hit twice on the fast forward 30 seconds. I wonder how many people do that or they just suffer through it because it's just part of the show. But uh, welcome to another episode. I wanted to share with you guys. Obviously, I didn't do an episode last week. And that was because I was literally not just out of town. I was out of the country. I went to Quito, Ecuador, which is the capital of Ecuador, right on the equator. And did a mission trip down there, uh, serving uh, through my church with a bunch of young adults. Uh, they're early 20-somethings. My daughter was included in that. My wife and I did that. Uh, we led the team down there with another older seasoned adult couple is probably the better way to put it. So it was really great. Had several people that had never done that before, never been out of the country before. And to, you know, see them experience that is pretty special. I have to admit, in fact, it's probably my favorite thing about going to a mission trip besides the serving part is, is seeing and sharing that kind of just experience with those kids, these young adults. It was, it was pretty great. It was actually my sixth time to Ecuador overall in the last 10 years is when I started doing mission trips. That was my 18th trip that I've done in 10 years. So I had uh, essentially two and a half years that I didn't do any because of COVID, but now finally been able to, to start doing these again is so rewarding and so awesome. And it's just a major staple in my life, something really important to me. And so that's why I didn't do an episode last week. So hopefully you'll forgive me and be listening this week to what I am super excited about this week's episode, because it is something that I think I kind of threw out the idea in passing during an episode. Our guest will remind me, I'm sure, of of where he heard this idea, but he took the ball and ran. And he's a good friend of mine. I want to bring him on right now. And we're just going to start getting into this. It is the kind of debut, so to speak, of the data surrounding a thing, a concept that we call the Vintage 100 Index. And my friend who is doing it, his name is John Reichert, uh, known on YouTube as Wade Boggs fan. John, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Great to be here. Glad to have you. This is your debut on Golden Yes. My my rookie debut. Even though, are they going to have a Tops Now card for this, I wonder? 
Oh, that would be nice. Wouldn't that be cool? You should you yeah. can make a tops now card if you're on like like get a screenshot really? of this, you know, and put it on a top that, now that card. I may have to look into that for the national. I I'm looking for a design for uh for cards to bring to the national for handouts. Yeah, we, we can dual sign them. There we go. Dual autograph. It could be the first dual autograph card given out at the national. Actually, it wouldn't. Uh, Michael nope. and Wesker Griff did that last. That's year. right, back to back. They did it back they to did. back, front and back. Uh, yeah, which was actually pretty brilliant. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah, a lot of people that may not go to the national or know the YouTube community because a lot of people are probably listening to this on podcast. You know, a lot of us do custom cards, and I love. I have an entire uh, box gener- de- dedicated to my YouTube family album, which includes notes and. Uh, when I get care packages from people and just random acts of kindness. And then the cards that I get from all of you guys, I have, I have yours. Uh, it's got a few dart holes in it. I'm sorry about that, but just, uh, no, not really. But John, why don't you tell everybody about what you do and, um, you know, what you do on YouTube, what you primarily collect really quick and how we know each other. Yep. Sure. In, In a nutshell, I started off by being a Weedbogs super collector. And so that was my focus for close to 25 years. And I'm not going to go into all the, the, the reasons, but I wanted to go in a, a different direction. I wanted to not broaden your horizons. Uh, yeah, not stop collecting Weedbogs cards, but look at other stuff. And I always loved vintage cards. I had some in my collection over the years, but never really focused on it. And through your channel and through other channels, uh, seeing all these great vintage cards you guys are collecting. I'm like, you know what? I want to get into that. I want to start building a, a vintage collection. So for the last close to two years now, I've I've primarily been buying more vintage than Wade Boggs cards because I'm it's it's harder to find new Boggs cards or ones that aren't ridiculously priced. So yeah, I'm even though my channel is Wade Boggs fan and it started off as doing videos showing off my Wade Boggs collection, I broadened that to, to doing videos about general hobby topics, uh, how to collect this, how to do that, and also now broadening broadening into my vintage collection. And which brings us sort of to today um, and our connection. Honestly, you're you're probably the primary reason why i'm on youtube um i'm very sorry this was early this was early 2000 i think and i really didn't know there was much on youtube for 2000 like 20 years ago huh 2000 2020 2020 sorry i was like man that's a lot yeah that even predates you and i knew you've been on youtube for a long time no 2020 and i didn't know there was these these collector channels on YouTube and yours was one of the first ones that I checked out and I'm like, man, this is, this is cool. And I saw some others. I'm like, you know, and the, especially when the pandemic hit, I'm like, this could be fun. Let me just start a channel and talk about cards. And so over the years we've, we've connected on different things, chatted about stuff, met at the nationals. And here, here we are. I, the, the start of this vintage 100 index was from one of your earlier episodes um, where you talked about uh, our vintage cards recession proof. And you took a couple cards, I forget which ones they were, but ran a few data points historically 
and looked at over time in different time frames what the prices did up and down and you said like you said almost in passing is you know this would be something that would be cool to really dive deep into the data to look at a larger group of cards and see how those cards have done over time and when you said that i'm like you know what that sounds pretty cool because I'm a numbers guy, and it turns out you're you're really a numbers guy and number crunching. I just love spreadsheets and all that stuff. And so, yeah, my yeah my I I decided to, and and again, I think without telling you, I was like, hey, I'm gonna do this. So I did a video where I did some pre work because I, I I sort of had things in mind, and I just said, hey, this is what I'm going to be doing, and I laid out the 100 cards that were going to make up this index, my methodology, and this and this. And you saw my video, and you're like, John, I, I want to collaborate. I, I want to work on this with you. I'm like, that's awesome. So that's that's where we are. That That's how this whole Vintage 100 Index started. And hopefully we'll we'll be able to talk about uh, some of the, the things that this index is meant to be what it's not meant to be and then start diving into some of the initial data that that we've entered yeah i think it's important to let people know that this is purely for fun yeah right this, yep. this means oh, yeah. nothing in yeah. the real grand scheme of things you can't buy the vintage 100 index you know it's not an etf that you can go buy it you know yeah. at schwab tomorrow on your trading platform or Robinhood. but it it was meant I think when I said it, it was like just to follow the market in general. Like, what is the vintage market doing? Is it moving upwards or downwards in very general terms? Right. That was kind of the idea. Yeah. But I knew that to know that would require somebody to do a crap ton of work. <laughs> and and how do you pick the cards? People are going to bid. And we're going to talk through that here in a second. Yep. But I want you guys to know that this is far from perfect. And it's not meant to mean anything other than, hey, this is what John and I think. Mostly John, with small input from me of what we think about this, to just give us an idea of where is the vintage market going. Because it's very, very different than the overall sports card market and especially the modern sports card market where yep. prices are primarily driven by player performance, uh, player injuries, you know. But trades. stuff that's happening in the moment. Yep. Trades. Sure. Yeah, you bet. Free agency, all that kind of stuff can change. Championships. All that changes the modern market has zero effect on the vintage market because those players stories have already been told. And so uh, there are very little things, you know, getting inducted in the Hall of Fame, obviously dying. Those are things that can affect. Yep. Vintage player prices, but a lot of you know, moments, so to speak, that can create volatility there. The only thing that creates volatility in the vintage market is higher demand, right? Yep. yep. So let's just get into this. Uh, John has created a, uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, that thing. Slideshow, PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. PowerPoint. We know this is a podcast, guys. So if you're listening yes. on podcast, and you don't want to go check out the YouTube video, we'll, we'll do, and if you're watching the YouTube video, no, we're going to explain maybe a little more than what's obviously in front of you that you can read, 
but it's meant to help our podcast listeners so they know what we're talking about. And maybe I'll ask these questions to you, John, and yep. you can answer them in how you thought through this. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say how we thought through this, but the reality is you did uh, a lion's share of this. Uh, I just think we think alike. So I was probably thinking yes. about it the same way you did. And yep. so my answer will be, yep, I agree. Uh, but yep. we, we already talked about how the Vintage Index came about. Yep. Maybe some of the methodology you used. Let's let's talk first about how you chose the 100 cards that are in this index. Yeah. Uh, well, first starting off with, with 100. Could I have gone with 50 or more than 100. Well, again, I knew the more cards I had as part of the index, the more work and the more data. So I wanted to keep something that was reasonable that we could continue on a monthly basis and not be too onerous to update. And I thought 100 is a nice round number. Again, hopefully it gives a large enough sample size. But again, it's not going to be perfect, but I think it was better than 50. So how did I go about? So I'm like, okay, I got to pick 100 cards. So I know on your, it may have been that same uh, podcast, or it may have been another one. You did uh, something about what are the most expensive uh, rookie, tops rookie cards or yeah. something like that. that and you had one. the list of these uh, vintage players, uh, tops uh, rookies. So I went, I started actually through that list. And again, I wanted to focus it between 1948 and 1980. And what Hall of Fame rookie cards fell into that group. Now it went beyond top. So we have a Bowman. Um, I didn't include any leaf, uh, the 48 leaf. But through the rookie cards of the Hall of Famers, I got to about 80 so. And I'm like, okay, I, I still need a few more to make up this index. So then I said, okay, there, there are some players out there that may not be in the Hall of Fame, but uh, a lot of fans, collectors, think they should be in the Hall of Fame. So I went with a Pete Rose, a Thurman Munson, a personal favorite, you know, Dwight Evans, those types of players. Then I still had a few cards to fill in, just a, just a few. And so I said, what are some of the quote-unquote iconic vintage cards? So I included the 71 Topps Munson, uh, the 53 Bowman Pee Reese. Um, I threw the in four Bowman Ted Williams. Yes. And some second year cards of players that had their rookie card was a multiplayer. And maybe I know there's a lot of interest in those second year cards like uh, the 69 Ryan uh, 68 Seaver, the 64 Tops Rose, that to some collectors, they may even prefer more than their rookie card. So that got me to right around 100. So I'm like, okay, so I got I got the players. Then there's two more things. Like, where was I going to get the data? And, and that's where our collaboration uh, uh, came in. And we decided to go with vintage card prices. Uh, that website uh, rather than trying to do eBay sales uh, listings or other things like that. And for all these data points, if there are multiple sales of a card within a given month, we went with the most recent. So again, we didn't, we tried to make this less onerous as, as possible and stop. We weren't going to try to do some average for the month. If three sold, take an average of those three. We said, look, let's just 
go with the last card for that month sold, whatever the price is, we enter it. And we did, I think there was 4,200 entries that we yeah. did. We took the data back to January of 2019. Technically so December the, 31st of 2018, but yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. And the other thing that we had to, to, to figure out or that I figured out was what grade to use for the particular card. Now, why I use know, graded cards at all? What? Why use graded cards at all? Oh, well, again, graded cards. And I know the answer, but I think it's important yes. to explain it. Yeah. That, yeah, very good. Graded cards, whether you like them or not, at least have a a general understanding within the hobby of what a particular grade would sell for. And it's, it's identifiable, um, raw cards you, you get, it's, it's a lot more subjective to the eye. And in, in, in our case, in looking up data, just because a listing says, Hey, it's a 64 tops Pete Rose in an excellent mint condition. Is it? And depending on how well the pictures are, you know, someone may it look like may get a steal when it's a really nice looking card because it's a bad picture. There's so many other variables that come into play when you're dealing with raw. So we went with vintage. You went with graded, you mean? I guess we went with graded. Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, oh, yeah. go ahead and finish and I'll tell some other points that we yeah. thought about. Uh, so it, in, in terms of the grade itself, um, you know, I, I, I got comments on my initial video of, well, geez, you know, well, sure, this card and that grade, you know, who, well, us normal collectors can't afford that card. And that's not what we're looking to do. So, again, to try to give some semblance of consistency, I went with the collector grade. So the collector grade in, for those on the, the podcast and stuff is that if you have a card from the 1940s, a collector grade would be a PSA four A card from the sixties would be a PSA six. So based on what the card was within the index, it would either be priced at a PSA four level five, six, seven, or in the case of the one 1980 card in a PSA eight. Yeah. And I think that's really smart just to pick not the high, high end. Cause that's not, we're trying to measure the general market, right. Mm -hmm. And finding collector grade, examples of these cards is reasonably common you know the older you get the less likely you're going to find higher end versions so you get kind of step down grades as you get older and older it only makes sense right there's just fewer higher grade copies and i think i wanted to explain why we use the 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 last sale of each month each given yep. month why that's important because we talked about this as we were trying to go, okay, we, we have the data. What do we want to actually use for the data? And the reality is just like any stock in any given day, there's, there's an intraday, you know, the stock can move up or down in the middle of a day. But what really people mostly care about typically when they look at their statement is what's the closing price, right, of that day, regardless of what volatility occurred during the day. Mm -hmm. We expanded that in our thought process of, well, a card can can vary greatly in any given month. Where did it end the month? You know, what was the last sale of that month? It's not, it's, and it's certainly on a lot of these, we found not on the 31st, there might've only been four or five sales of that card in that grade 
in a month and it might the last one might have been on the 14th or something weird that just is what it is you know um some cards are just more tradable more there's just more of them and you can they're they're they're, they go through the market faster uh we call that velocity by the way in the in the stock world but some cards don't have a lot of velocity honestly but that that was the rationale for that and i think again there's no perfect way to do this if somebody the most accurate way would be to average all the sales and like you said but good god who wants to do those points of data yeah and i think it's important to distinguish we all know that a PSA five, um, let's, and we used PSA by the way, not yep. any other grading company, just so y'all know to do this, but a PSA five of what's a card in the fifties. Let's say a, a, the Pee Wee Reese Bowman color, 53 yep. Bowman color, right? All, all PSA fives are not created equal. And we yep. understand that. Okay. We simply looked at what the price was. We didn't look at the card and went, Ooh, that's a great example of a five or, you know, we all know that people will over, uh, I should say overpay. They'll, they'll pay a premium, pay up for a better example of that grade. And they'll pay down for a bad example. They'll pay lower for a, for a bad example. And we didn't factor that into our thought process. It was, what was the last sale of a PSA five, regardless of it was perfectly centered or off centered, or it didn't matter. It, yeah. it still has a PSA five on the label is what it is. Sometimes that was the highest sale of the month. Sometimes it was the lowest sale of the month. We just, we had to draw a line somewhere and that's what we chose. Yep. Again, far from perfect, but uh, it is what it is. Why don't you talk about now, John, about what the index is meant to be and maybe what kind of it's not meant to be. Sure. I, again, my, my goal and my, Mike, I think your, your goal as well with this is just to, as you said in your intro, just in an attempt to try to get some measure of where the vintage baseball card market is going. It's not perfect. It's a small little snippet of 100 cards. It's not the entire market. It's not high-end cards. It's not low-end cards. It's graded cards. It's not raw cards. So it, it's not going to be perfect, but it's just a, a way for us to see, because I I think there have been a lot of channels, videos devoted to modern cards and what cards are hot, what cards are not, uh, you know, where's where's this player's cards going and, and, and all this stuff. Uh, not that we want to try to duplicate that. All right. Um, so, but it's just meant for educational purposes, for our enjoyment, for honestly, this is Mike and I's little project to have fun with two guys that just love to crunch numbers and for us to discuss the stuff. And does it, does it mean that, oh, well, all, all vintage cards are going this way? No. Does it all, you know, does it mean that, um, Different cards, I'm trying to, to, to get the, the last thought in, in, in terms of, um, it's, it's just a fun exercise. I, I don't know how to, to it, it's more important, like what not, <laughs> like what, what this index is not meant to be 
to try to explain what it is meant to be. I know that's a sort of a circular reference there, but we're not saying to those who follow this that, hey, these are the best 100 vintage cards. No, it's not a top 100 list. It's not cards that we're telling you you should have in your collection. And this is not investment advice. So if we're talking about a card or the index in itself saying, hey, boy, you know, this this card's going up X percent uh, so far in 2022. We're not telling you to go out and buy that card because we think it's going to continue to go up. So there's no investment side to this. It's us just looking at data and seeing some stuff that looks interesting to us and discussing it, I guess is the best way to put it. You, you may have some additional thoughts, Mike. Yeah. I, no, I agree with everything you said. We're reporting the data. Take and use it for however you want is, yeah. is probably the best caveat I would give you. Um, we might provide our own opinions on pieces of data that we think is interesting, but that doesn't mean in any way that we advocate for or against anything. It's just, Oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that happened? Whatever, you know, um, yeah. and maybe give some reasoning, but not, not a, not a prediction of the future, nor a. Right. Well, you know. you, Mike, you mentioned in your, I, I, I think maybe before I, I came on or just, just when I came on, you said things that may affect, uh, Vintage cards, well, election to Hall of Fame or a Hall of Fame or passing or things like that. That may be something where it would be interesting just to see, again, not as advice to buy or whatever, but where did that player's card, did, did that particular yeah. card see a spike after they made it to the Hall of Fame? How long did that spike last? Was it a two or three month bump and then it came back down? Um, just to see how some of these cards act over time. Yeah. As CNC music factories used to say things that make you go, Hmm. Mm. Right. Yes. Uh, so let, let's move on to the next, unless you have anything else to no. run over with that. No, okay. I'm good. Uh, so talk about this slide and what it is for the podcast. Sure. This, this is uh, the, the first initial look at the data. And the index, I, I, I should say that the index uh, started, and I should have that uh, number here. It, it started, um, I think, around 500, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, just right around 500 back in, uh, it'd be December of 18's data, but January of 2019. So that's sort of so, the, the base. I think, it, I think it's important to clarify. So let's, let me explain yeah. this real quick. because. Yeah super important for you to understand what that index number even means. That's true. We took the card at the particular collector grade ending price of the month and put it in for all these hundred cards, added it up. That's the total divided it by a hundred. That's your index. So it's basically the average price essentially yep. of all 100 of those cards in that particular month. So, if, if you did the quick math that the index at the uh, this is uh, May 31st, essentially June 1st, right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, was it 1259? Yep. So or 1260, essentially, you could say times 100, it would cost me $126,000 to buy all of the cards in the index at that grade. Yep. Right. That's essentially yep. what you could do. And so that it is 
price weighted, meaning that higher price cards have a larger effect on the index than lower price cards. Um, if the Mantle Rookie, which is in there, 51 Bowman, if it goes up $1,000, that's going to have them, which isn't a big price move for that card, you know, but it it matters on the index because the Dwight Evans rookie is not going to move $1,000. The Dwight Evans might go up in a larger percentage, Yep, but that will affect the index less because it's not, from a dollar standpoint, that big of a move. Yep. So it's a price-weighted index. For those of you that know what that is, that's what this is. Um, and it weights more for the higher price cards. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but but for the stock market, when you have certain indexes, there there are stocks that that may trade at a higher volume or a higher price than some others that still make up the index. Correct. So this isn't unique. No, it's not. Um, yeah. The S and P 500, I think, is price weighted. The Dow is cap weighted. You okay. know, because you can have cap weighted too. Like, how big is the company? Like, how much value do they add overall? price times number of shares yeah this is not cap weighted it is price weighted so the, yep. again the higher price cards affect the index more on any given significant movements so but that still doesn't mean it doesn't tell a good story it, again you have to draw a line somewhere on the data like you have to yep. pick something you yep. can't do it all different ways you just okay we like this if somebody else has a better way to do it knock yourself out right yep. we yep there's no copyright infringement here on our end yep. but uh, so keep going, John. I'm sorry. Sure. No, no, no. So, uh, that, that was a very good, uh, introduction and explanation of, of the number. So as Mike said, the index for June of 22 was uh, just under 1260. Now compare that to where the index was in May, which was 1315. The index itself was down a little over 4%. So cards, now, again, maybe more some than others, but there was a drop of 4% on the average, which is the index of those 100 cards. And since January of this year, so a year to date, it's down almost 1%. So I know a lot of people are talking about uh, vintage cards, you know, they're starting to soften, they're starting to you know, prices are starting to go down on some, some cards. This data sort of goes along with people's perceptions of where vintage cards are, are going right now. So on a month-by-month -month basis, we saw a 4% dip and year-to-date almost a 1% dip. Yeah, I would say year-to-date it's pretty flat, right? I mean, 1% yeah. is not a huge move. Nope. Uh, one way or another on 100 cards, right? I mean, that's... Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> so far this year vintage has stayed pretty consistent although you'll see month to month moves if you look over the six months though or i guess technically five months yeah um it is pretty flat which yeah. is cool yep and just, just to give some perspective since we started the at the beginning of the data uh again in january of 19 which is december of 18's data it was right around five, it was 501 and, and change was the index and now at 1260 that's 151 percent change in two was it two and a half years 1920 yep. 20 yep. no three and a half three and a half years yeah yeah 19 20 21 and then half a half of 22 so in three and a half years 
this index, the that the average value of those 100 cards has gone up 151%. So despite any pandemic boom and bust over time, vintage still, at least for the, again, in the cards that make up this index, um, have gone up uh, fairly decently over a three and a half year period. That's an average annual return, just so people know, of 43%, um, yeah. which is pretty good. I'd take that on a lot of my investments. Not that cards are supposed to be an investment. It's a hobby, but sorry, right. I digress. No, um, and, and then the last, uh, just two two data points, you know, just, again, this vintage index keeps me thinking of, you know, the stock market and certain indexes, and they always report a like a 52-week high and a 52-week low. So I took a look at the lowest point of the index, and that was 458, reached in April of 2019. And the index reached a peak of almost 1739 in April of 2021. Um, so right right in the heart of the, the second year of the, the pandemic, stimulus money, I mean, we can have a whole discussion and other people have had discussion during that time period of, you know, why are card prices going up and so on. Uh, this index hit a high in April of 2021. Okay. Which, oh, by the way, we're down uh, 27.5% from that high currently. So that's yep. how much, we use the word retracement, you know, has been there. Yep. Here's the data charted out. Uh, we have this. Uh, so if you're listening on podcast, this will mean nothing to you. We have done a chart of this. I say we, John has done a chart from the inception of the data again, 1231, 2018 through May 31st, you know, June 1st. And this tells an amazing story. So if you're not looking at this, go, go find the YouTube video, uh, yeah. bench clear media, go find it. Uh, vintage 100 index. This is a cool looking chart. What do you think, John? Yeah, it it shows, and in in my mind, even before I started collecting, seriously collecting vintage cards, you know, I had vintage cards. I already always liked them. My thought and idea of vintage cards was ones, generally speaking, that you held on to them. Yeah, over time they would slowly go up in value but not have the large fluctuations of modern cards. Um, again, modern cards have a different uh, collector mentality, as, as you mentioned. It, it's all about what the, the player is doing now and all the things affecting those players. Um, vintage, their, their stories, like you said, have been written. There's very little that changes with interest in a Mickey Mantle card or Jackie Robinson card or you, you name it. And so... My thought process was, hey, over time, yeah, do vintage cards go up? Yes, but it's probably slowly. And that's what this chart shows for most of 2019. And even for, for most of 2020, now to, when you get toward the end of 2020, um, I think that's where we start seeing some pretty good rise in, in prices. And then 2021 is just a roller coaster um, in which I think, by early 2021, that buildup of 
stimulus money, where to put money, what to buy, people coming into the hobby, you name it, all the stuff that that many people have talked about uh, of how the hobby has been affected during the pandemic really shows in this graph. And the jump from February to March and even April is pretty phenomenal. And then there's a almost quickly rebound. And so it doesn't stay up there for a while. It, it reaches a high, then just comes back down over the next four or five months. But then it, it sort of looks like it's back into a, if we want to use the term, a new normal. Now it's a higher new normal. And we're seeing maybe a little bit more volatility, but it, it's back to, like you said, for so far since January through through June of 2022, the index is essentially unchanged. Now, month to month, there have been some ups and downs, but, you know, the 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 talk of, you know, the vintage vintage card market, you know, is going to be crashing. There's good year. Those cards aren't going to be worth, you know, half of what they're going to be in a year or so. I'm not, at least according to this data and what we've seen so far, there isn't that doom and gloom that, that I see. Yeah. I, I think it's important when we look at data, any data, you know, data is only as good as interpreting it and, and drawing and using it. If you have just data for data's sake, that's no point. There's no way. Okay, great. You have a lot of points of data. What story is that data telling you? And does it affect your decisions? And you, we can, like you said, a lot of people talked about the vintage market, myself included, for a long time as that general theory of it just kind of keeps going up slow and steady. It doesn't do a whole lot of price spikes and price gouging and all that kind of stuff. And we, but we, we only knew those conclusions. We only drew those conclusions through observation. Yep. Right. So you can draw a conclusion through observation. You can draw a conclusion through data. And I think what's best is when those can both come together to tell a story, because then you get a, a more complete picture of the story, not just from one perspective of the data or one perspective of observation. And so just because I think cards are doing that doesn't mean they are. And the data can either confirm or refute that observation. And and then they work really well together. So I think this kind of confirms now. I think it's important that people, because some people are probably asking, why didn't you go further back? You know, well, A, I don't know that I trust the data much further back, honestly. Um, VCP, although a great resource and does have data going back decades on some cards, like a really long time, it, first of all, it would have been almost like you use the word onerous, John. It doesn't mean that maybe we won't start adding months going backwards when we kind of have time to do it. This yeah. was just kind of a jumping off point. But the reality is, I don't know. Maybe it'll tell a different story. Maybe it won't. That's what the data, you know, you don't know till you put the data in. But yeah, well, I, I, I think we went. Yeah, we, we wanted to go at least a year before the pandemic. So, so 2019 was good to show that was a quote unquote, if you want to call it a normal year. Right. Then the pandemic hit in early 2020. So what happened? We wanted to see what changes happened in 2020 and especially 2021. And now that we're in 2022. So I think that was the, the at least in, in our mind, the initial cutoff was let's just for now, let's just go back a year, see what how it was the year before the pandemic. Right. 
And and as you can see, if you're looking at the chart, how how pretty stable that was for 2019. Yeah. And you know, some small increases and different things. And uh, the run up in 2020, I think, is important because it didn't happen in the same vein as the modern spike. If you were to do a modern version of this, I bet you would see. Again, this is drawing a conclusion from observation, not from data, but you would see the spike moved further to the left on the chart yes. further earlier in time. And we all said, I, I said it, I know I said it, vintage is coming. It's it's time is coming because people are going to get tired of the modern world and go, man, I, I just want some something that's a little more steady. And that caused higher demand and vintage. And we saw that really manifest itself in the first few months of 2021 and like you said reset to a to a new normal and that's not abnormal for any market yep right for peaks to happen irrational exuberance happens you know it comes back down and usually but usually not lower than it was before you know mm -hmm. and now it's reset to this new level of quote unquote normal i'm going to move on to the next chart just for time's sake but yes if you're hopefully you guys are enjoying this and this i mean seeing the data was very visually powerful for me uh when john showed me i was like wow okay Be before now you get to makes... next, yeah uh, okay i was gonna say oh. before you get to before you get to the next video i i, I wanted to sort of give g lead into it set it up yeah and set it set up, up in that the the big spike that happened between uh, February, March, and April, and then right the, the dip. Yeah. I I started looking at that the the monthly change. Like what what cards or you know multiple cards, you know what happened. I, I was just looking at the raw data, and I noticed that there were there were four cards primarily. And again, this is a price weighted index. That there were four cards that sort of really impacted the spike and then initial drop in the index. And it was the 49 Bowman, Jackie Robinson, the 51 Bowman mantle and maze and the 54 tops Hank Aaron. So what so I key decided, rookie cards, what, very key, very yes. key rookie cards. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, in, in fives, those, you know, command, you know, pretty decent prices or well, four for the Robinson, but sure. So what I decided to do is, okay, let me let me normalize, and that may not be the right term. Let me normalize those four cards. In other words, I took the value of those four cards that what they were in February, all right, and I kept those the prices of those four cards the same all the way through July, which is almost at the bottom of the the, the drop from the peak. And I wanted to see essentially what the other 96 cards in the index did. Was there still a pretty good spike and a drop and so on? Maybe just not as exaggerated because of those four cards. And this le leads to the next chart. Now, I, I found that completely fascinating. Yes. Because... If you take away those four cards, and, and you had in, in, in particular uh, the 51 Bowman Mantle shot from, it was like 18, I'm going to say 18,000. Uh, no, it was actually it was 16,000 to 40,000 to 52,000 in 
two months. All right, now that's come back down a little bit. But here, what this is saying is there, there essentially was no bubble in terms of the 96 card. Again, it's a small sample. But this data shows, a, I don't say a completely different picture, but this one shows a run-up and a somewhat steady run-up and no peak and drop. Just a steady yeah. increase in prices of vintage cards at a, at a at a greater uh, rate of increase than say in 2019. You know, it's been exaggerated or multiplied, but there's been no boom and crash again based on those remaining 96. Now, my my methodology may have been flawed. You know, some mathematician or or you know statistician may say, John, yeah, you can't do that. I, I don't know. I did it anyway. So um, I think it's fascinating. I'm going to scroll quickly for those watching on video yep. between the two slides. Cause you'll see with the four, without the four, with the four, without the four. Now, like you said, on like the S&P, you can't take out Netflix and Amazon yep. and you know, the, the high movers, the big shakers, right. That, that yep. significantly move the index. It's not fair. They're in the index, right? So you can't yes. exclude them. But it's interesting to, when you look at this, like, they're, huh, that's pretty interesting. Um, I, I think the conclusion you can draw from that with the data is, you know, that otherwise the, the market's pretty stable. Yeah. You know, you, you had some really high demand cards, super critical rookies that were just, if you think about somebody coming into the hobby and wanting to get all excited about the, the sports card world, they're going to gravitate first to those super key cards, Aaron rookie, yep. Jackie, you know, all these things. It just makes sense. Those yeah. would get driven up faster um, by an influx of people into the hobby and, and money coming into the hobby, et cetera. Yeah. They're going to no, go, no, well, no, well, no just give me the say, best card. I, I want a Carl, I want a Carlton Fisk rookie card. You know, right. I'm, I'm new to the hobby. I want to throw some money in here. I want to, I want to make some money on vintage cards. Nothing against Carlton Fisk. I love Carlton Fisk, but no one's, no one's going to be pumping Carlton Fisk rookie cards. I, you know, it's so, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, so that's, yep. I, I would, I was going to say that's kind of phallic looking, <laughs> um, but I'm not going to say that. Oh wait, I just yep. did say that. Um, okay. Wife walks in the room. Wife leaves. Wife walks. Yeah. In. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. Enough twelve-year-old jokes. All right. Yeah. Um, so, I think this is interesting that you've pulled out some of these kind of just for just for the month of May. Yep. Um, is really what this data is. It's as of June first. Uh, so this is the most recent data that that we've put into the. And we'll keep adding to this. By the way, we're going to talk about that. Yep. In a little bit, this isn't a static thing that we, oh, here it is, guys, and I hope see you ya. liked it, and you'll yep. never see it again, and yep. we'll explain that uh, towards the end, so stay tuned for that. Yep. What The top 10, I'm going to name them, and then, John, you can maybe say something that surprised you. Let, let's say one card that surprised you Yep. Um, and one card that doesn't surprise you. Uh, 60 Tops Jim Cat was the tops per, our top performer for May, up 74%. Um, and we're going to use percentages mostly because the dollar values are are certainly important, no doubt. 
But I think the percentage increase is something we can all relate to. You know, it went from $143 to $249. So it went up 100 bucks. Is that the end of the world for most people? No. But it's just interesting to say it in percentages. It just sounds cooler, right? So 60 tops, Jim Cat, Jim Cott, sorry, 74%. 58 tops, Orlando Cepeda, 68%. Then you have uh, Andre Dawson, rookie. Mini Minoso, rookie, 52 tops, both up in the 40s. Uh, the Satchel Page Bowman rookie of 36%, Mantle 56, 59 tops, Bob Gibson, both up around 30%. The Johnny Bench rookie, which I have always thought is a very undervalued card, up 25%. The Ron Santo up 20%, and then the Bill Mazeroski. So what stands out to you from this, John? To me, it's a it's a lack of some of the the, the bigger name rookie cards. Um, yep. You know, you see the Bill Mazeroski, the Ron Santo, uh, Andre Dawson, Orlando Cepeda, not, I mean, again, these are all great players and I don't want to ground, downgrade them, but in terms of the hobby interest, I, I'm, I'm, it was interesting to see those, those cards make the top 10 list and not the, the, the Koufax rookie, Clemente rookie, uh, you know, the, some of the other ones where you would think that there'd be more hobby interest in more movement. Um, and maybe the movement is just not up for those particular cards. Uh, Bowman satchel page. Uh, I note in the later set of data that we'll, that we'll look at um, seems to be performing very well. I think has always been a, a fan favorite. Uh, for, for vintage collectors, I, I know I'd love to own a 49 Bowman Satchel page, but um, yeah, that, that's sort of my initial take. Some of the lesser known players, rookie cards making the top 10 list. I'll tell you what it tells me. It's that um, this is more, May was more of a collector type month, meaning only true real vintage collectors are going to know a lot of these names. Your, your mm -hmm. average investor flipper dude isn't going to know who Andre Dawson is or, or care, right? They might know who yep. he is, but uh, it's a, it's a $50 card. Who cares? You know, I'm not even going to waste my time. But the collector mm -hmm. mindset is maybe going, I need to fill in some of these gaps while I can. I was one of them. Cards. I needed the 77 Dawson. <laughs> yep. You're like, Hey, I'm going to go ahead and get this now. Cause it's not unreasonable relative to other cards. So there's just, I think a greater collector demand and that's, I think, what this tells us. Yeah. Um, by the way, feel free to disagree with any of our conclusions. <laughs> Absolutely. We're not saying we have all this figured out. We're looking at the data. That's what's great about data is someone else might look at this and, and go, you know, I think it means this. And I love that uh, feedback slash, what's the word I want to use? Um, interpretation, right? Yeah. Tell yep. me what you think. I, I may agree or disagree with you. You may agree or disagree with John and I, but it's great to have, it's, it's kind of fun to have the discussion. I mean, if we yeah, didn't have the data, I mean, we couldn't we're, even talk all, all we're doing, all we're doing is showing numbers. I mean, really, right. that's all it is. And what we think one number versus another number means. And different people could have different thoughts and may bring up something like, wow, you know what? Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jim Cott, Andre Armini Minoso, two new Hall of Famers. So that yep. makes some sense that there'd be higher demand for their rookie cards in, mm -hmm. in decent grades. Yep. So that 
you know, you can go, yeah, that's, that makes some sense. Although they were announced in January, it's neat to see that even, you know, several months later, it tells that that Hall of Fame election hangover can last longer than maybe people think. Yep. It's always been thought before, this is by observation, the conclusion was, oh, it only lasts a couple months and their cards kind of come back to where they were, yep. right? This is saying, not partic- not necessarily. Um, let me go to the next one. This will be worst monthly performers for the month of May. I'm going to go yeah. through these really quick. Uh, you saw number one, Reggie Jackson's rookie in the month of May was down 45%. Uh, the Killebrew rookie, 55 tops, down 40%. Then you go down the list, Eddie Murray, Jack Morris, Rod Carew, Phil Necro, the 58 tops, Roger Maris, which I think is a great inclusion by you in the in the index, by the way, kudos to you for that. Thanks. Uh, the Gossage, the Palmer, and Fisk rookies all down 30 to 35 percent ish uh, in the month of May. Anything stand out to you here with this data? I, I, again, getting to the point that that a lot of these cards are not ones that would be on the radar for. Uh, investors, flippers, ones coming newly coming into maybe the vintage uh, market that that want to get into vintage. Uh, these may not be the the household names that they're looking to do. So I, I'm I'm slightly at a loss. Although I, I do have a comment about the the killer brew, and you'll you'll see that in I think maybe the the, the next slide. So for the month of of May, essentially. The Killebrew rookie was down 40%, but wait till you get to the next slide and see where Killebrew makes the list. So I'll, I'll hold off on that. Okay. Uh, but again, we, we have we have smaller cards. You know, Jack Morris, I think, may be one of the cheapest Hall of Fame rookie cards in the index. Is. Yeah. I think it is the cheapest. Um, but we we have, you know, some, some players that I think – for, for most collectors may fall under the radar in terms of their, I mean, we've talked about this before, their, their impact to the sport and their records and all that stuff versus uh, their popularity within the hobby. So you got Rod Carew, great player, not on everyone's must have list. You got Phil Necro, Jim Palmer, Colton Fisk, to some extent, Rich Gossage, great players, maybe not, um, as great of a following in, in, in from a collector standpoint. So why the drop here? Maybe some of those cards got a little bit too excited, too uh, bought up, and they're, they're just seeing maybe a, a little correction. Like I said, you, I think you'll see with the Harmon Killer Brew coming up. Yeah, baseball good does not equal hobby good. Yeah. Right? And, and that's okay for – it's great for me because it just means stuff gets cheaper. So that's fine. Yep. Uh, let me go to the next slide. So you mentioned the killer brew here. We've yep. got top year to date performance. So that was a one month look like what happened in the last, you know, in the month of May, 2022, so far year to date in 2022, uh, you, you start off with the Monty Irvin rookie, which in this case is the 51 Bowman. He does have a 51 tops. Monty Irvin does, but the reality is the Bowman's just kind of a more popular card. So that's what John included in the index. Um, 212% year to date. So if you, if you had a, a Bowman rookie, Monty Irvin, 
at the beginning of the year, you're two, 2.1%, two, 2 2.1 times uh, more valuable than it was then. So good job. Good, good on you for buying that when you did, uh, the Jim Rice rookie up almost 200%. Bill Hodges, 100%, which makes sense. He was elected in the Hall of Fame this year, right? Uh, So that totally makes some sense. Jack Morris, Andre Dawson. So the cards we just mentioned that were, quote unquote, down the most in the month of May. Yes. And I think maybe that's the conclusion you're going to draw, right? Yes. Is they're still on this list of the most up since... Um, and again, it can be kind of deceiving. I mean, you look at, you look at the Jack Morris, you're like, okay, it went from $11 and 50 cents to 20 bucks. Yeah, I know. It is 73%, but it's $8, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So it's, it technically makes the list, but, but you're right. It's a percentage based. Again, you have to draw some lines, but you say, okay, clearly that is not moving much. Someone just, the, the change in prices there the dollar value is somewhat meaningless, but it is. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. on the bigger cards. I mean, right. but in terms of price, but uh, so that's a cool list. The killer brew made it, even though it was down uh, second most in the month of May, it's still up 39% for the year. Which yeah. Is the 10th so type so that, 10th. And, and I think there's maybe a, there was the, uh, again, the Dawson, the Morris, which is uh, my, my surprisers are the Jim Rice rookie. Um, yeah. Now again, percentage-wise, I mean, it went from twenty-eight dollars to eighty-two. I mean, that's I I, I don't I, I'm at a loss to maybe understand. I haven't heard anything about Jim Rice. There hasn't been anything in the. I mean, it just he's already in the Hall of Fame. Nothing's happened yet. There was seemingly a big run on his card so far in in, in twenty two his rookie card in twenty twenty two, and I I, just, I don't know why. Maybe some of those that are listening here or watching the video. Uh, may have some idea of why Rice is becoming maybe slightly more popular. His cards are going up a little bit. But going back to the Killer Brew, is it, it's interesting that, yeah, he had that one-month decline. But, uh, again, was it because his cards have been going up at a fairly maybe too high of a pace in 2022? Still doing well, almost you know 39% for the year. But was just like, hey, you know, I, it's, it's getting a bit too high. I'm not going to pay that much for it. And it's, it's just gone down a little bit. So that's my take. Yeah. Uh, interesting. The, the Irvin number one card on the list, 51 Bowman, Money Irvin, interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if there's been a more recent appreciation for players from the Negro Leagues that transitioned to the majors. Uh You would think you'd see more names like that on here. I mean, the page is on here, so that's another one, right? Central Page, rookie. Yep. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it's that that's surprising to me. The, the other thing that, especially on a month by month basis, and, and you brought this up briefly, Mike, in, in the beginning, and so, but I want to just touch upon it again, especially for those who uh, either also collect modern or, or collect modern or just looking into vintage. For modern collectors, when when you're you're pretty much for graded cards, you're for the most part you're looking at nines and tens, and the the visual difference between a nine ten sometimes you can't tell. You're like, oh, I thought this was going to be a ten, it's a nine. Why? 
maybe some small little significance that you can't tell. You could hold two of them next to each other and may not be able to tell which one's the nine or 10. Right. For a vintage card, a 51 Bowman Monte Irvin, the PSA five is every PSA five is not going to look the same. You could have a well-centered copy, great eye appeal that may have led to that $750 sale at some point during 22. Again, this, 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 this is for where, where it is now. Well, it would have been the end of the month, right? Yeah. So, and, and that 240 could have been again, maybe earlier in the year. So there could be some price increase, general price increase, but one of these spikes could have been because maybe even the Jim Rice, maybe that is the reason the $28 copy was a technically a PSA seven, but was off center and technically got the grade. And that $82 one was perfectly centered. You, you question, is this undergraded? It is a great example of a seven and some collectors pay, play pre, pay premiums for those great eye appeal cards. So that could play a part, maybe not so much in the year to date numbers, but definitely on the month to month increases or decreases, it may come down to a, a card selling for more because of the great eye appeal of that particular example, or that maybe the last copy didn't sell in four months. So right. finally one hit the market. Oh, we haven't seen one in four months because of the market factors or whatever. You know, there haven't been as many for sale. So that could also play a part of saying, geez, I've been looking for this card and I've been waiting. It's been three or four months since one popped up. I want to go after it. And that may push the price for that one particular card up. And that's a, a critical thing. That's a critical thing. You brought it up. I'm going to point this out. There were times when some of these cards and the grades we were looking at didn't sell in any given month. And yep. so if that happened, we simply carried over the price from the previous month because right. it's just like it didn't trade. So there is no activity on the price. It's it's the same, really. Your yeah. last sale is still your last sale, even if it happened a month ago or two months ago. And, and there were some cases where there were three or four month gaps between sales, you know. Yep. And, and you couldn't put hard. zero because that would screw up the entire industry. Absolutely. It just, we just carried over the price. It just means it didn't change, but good or bad. It just stayed yep. the same. It's still yep. worth the same. Um, let, let's keep going for sake of yep. time. We're already over an yep. hour, and I hope yep. people are still with us <laughs> and hanging around. Um, worst year-to-date performers, uh, the Catfish Hunter rookie from 180 to 100. The I'm just going to go over a couple of these. The worst you can go look, you can see the data in front of you. The 50 Bowman Ted Williams is the second worst at 43% down, which is actually a much significant dollar value. It's down yeah. 1400 to 800. So that that's $600, but it's still only 43%. It's the same percentage. So if you owned, you know, 10 catfish hunters, you'd be in the same boat dollar wise as if you owned one Ted Williams. Yeah, right. yeah. But in terms of total dollars lost, uh, I'm surprised the Oliva rookie is down on that one. It's yeah. the it's number ten. Given his Hall of, it, it's counter to what we just saw about some of the other Hall of Fame inductees, right? For yep. 2022, Bill Hodges and some of the other, yeah, right. Kind of just interesting um, that his happens to be down. Uh, I'm looking for that card, so if anybody, yeah. I still don't have one. That, that's one I need to add. Uh, so 
I'm going to move a little bit quicker, John. Yes. People Absolutely. can see it. Yep. So now we're at kind of the, I'm going to stop sharing this because we're, yes. we're kind of at the end of the data we wanted to show for this. Um, my thoughts and takeaways are, and this is just cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> will, it, will it help anybody? I don't know. Will it hurt you? No, it won't hurt okay. you to know the data. It's just information, right? But for me, I just think it's really cool. And the fact that I have someone to share this with makes me want to do it even more. Uh, with you, John, your passion for it is infectious. And I, I love it. Uh, why don't you tell everybody what's going to happen kind of going forward as we go? Because this will be the only time we talk. Well, not maybe not the only time, but this is kind of the, the launch of this into the mm -hmm. with the data on yep. this channel because we wanted to reach a wider audience that's just the truth and we wanted more of you guys to hear about this hopefully more of you will watch this and then you get to go to japan next and how we're going to continue this going forward yeah uh so on on my channel wade boggs fan um, we're going to be doing a, a monthly, most likely monthly. I don't know if there would be any need to do anything more than that at, the, at this point. Uh, but on, on my channel, we'll, we'll get together something like this and just take a look at the current monthly data, see what the, the trends are, the, that large chart that we looked at. You know, so we're, we're probably not going to be doing a, an hour long video uh, every month. Uh, on these updates, it may be just a 20 minute, uh, Hey, let's take a look at the new numbers. Where does it show anything interesting, things like that. Um, and if, if there's interest now, again, it's whenever you, whenever someone volunteers, you're like, okay, well now you're doing it. Um, but this may lead to other indexes. I mean, there may be, there may be an interest out there for people who watch this say, Hey, that 100 index is, is, is great. It shows some cool numbers, but it may not be telling the whole picture of something. And they may say, well, what if we had an index of that included, I don't know, uh, budget cards, you know, nothing over a thousand dollars or where's the high end market going. You, you'd mentioned that these aren't, you know, the collector grade, you know, what, what are cards doing that the these big investors came you're coming in pushing you know buying the the i i do a set of videos of top 10 card sales on ebay and things like that and and some of these are in the psa eights and nines and and some 10 copies out there and they're selling for several thousand dollars now some of those don't always come up uh for sale but we could look at date i mean the data is out there Right. That's the thing. And and we could do whatever we want. It's just the time it takes to do all this data. We, you know, we entered 4,200 data points to get to this point. Um, now, each month, there's just 100 new data points every month. So that that's manageable. Uh, but who knows where this can go. But for now, it's just going to we're going to do a monthly. We'll have to figure out there's probably not going to be a set schedule sometime after the month, certainly until we can add the data that will go on my channel and. Just talk about the latest information, get some feedback from uh, those who watch the videos and just try to make it as entertaining as possible. Yeah. Just have fun with it. We may even do some special videos along the way where we break out individual cards and look at their price history. Yep. Right. We've, we've yep. done some charting on that. Uh, like, hey, let's look at the Yogi Berra. I, I think 
I, I know people are probably screaming at their car radio if they're <laughs> listening to that or into the abyss if they're jogging and listening to this on podcast or if you're watching it on YouTube, you're look, you want to throw something at your television. What are the cards? And we've mentioned several of them, as you've heard us just kind of talk through top tens and this and that. That video, I will put a link in the YouTube video to John explaining the met which cards are in this index because yes, obviously we haven't told you all of the cards in the index in this video. It's meant to to hopefully tease you and uh, go check out John's channel. The cards are there, and again, John and I will be doing update videos once a month, mainly because we love it, right? Yeah, John. I mean, yeah. there's no other reason to say it. Uh, That's it. That's it. So that is it, guys. That is the official, I guess, launch and debut of the Vintage 100 Index. And we hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you will give us feedback down below what you think. Um, if you're listening on podcast, you want to go see all the slides, go to Bench Clear Media on YouTube. You will, you will find this. And uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks for listening. Any final thoughts, John? Now, just looking forward to this journey, and one of us forgot to bring the champagne bottle to to pop open as as the the kickoff for this. But I, I think it's going to be fun, and, and that's that's the whole purpose of it. Uh, just two guys talking about vintage baseball cards. That's it. <laughs> and it allowed you and I to connect in a in a fun and and different way, and share different you know data and and cards and all you know. Uh, so it allowed people to connect and talking about something we love. And hey. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, We will catch you guys next week for another episode of Golden Age of Cardboard. John, thanks for being here. We'll talk to you guys soon. Keep collecting.